Well, good morning. Good to see you all again. Welcome to the world's worst sermon titled series in the history of humanity, Old and Slow, <clears throat> part three of four. We are glad to have you with us this morning in our Advent series. We're talking about things that are old and things that are slow, two ideas that are not usually valued in our culture, but talking about them because we think they should be. The value of the ancient, the value of what historically Christians have uh, leaned on during this season of the year, that which is old, reminding ourselves that we and our expression of Christianity is not the only one that there is, that we stand on the shoulders of people who for century upon century upon century have during this season, during this time, stepped back and reviewed and reflected on the future coming of Christ, his first advent and then finally his second advent. And slow, because there's some things that can happen to us slowly that we value, but they only can happen to us slowly. Things like anticipation. Last week we talked about patience. This week we're talking about hope. Now, in order to get our minds around hope, I wanted to read to you something that a guy by the name of Nicholas, Nicholas Kristof wrote in the New York Times just in the, this past May. Hope is not a concept unique to Christians at all, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Kristof was writing about the struggle of global poverty and the difficulty of trying to move people out of that and the seeming hopelessness of the cycle of global poverty continuing to go on and on. And it was very insightful what was published in the New York Times and his conclusion. Now, here's what he wrote. He said, an awkward truth for bleeding hearts like myself is that there has never been much rigorous evidence that outside aid can sustainably lift people out of poverty. Sure, evidence is overwhelming that aid can overcome disease or boost literacy and save lives, but raising incomes is trickier. And the evidence in that arena has been squishier. Now that's changing. He writes that a vast randomized trial, the gold standard of evidence, involving 21,000 people in six countries, suggests that a particular aid package called the graduation program, because it aims to graduate people from poverty, gives very poor families a significant boost that continues after the program ends. Indeed, it's an investment. In India, the economic return was a remarkable 433%. The heart of this aid package, he asks? He answers it with this, a cow or a few goats, even bees. Why would a cow have such an impact? This gets interesting, he writes. There's some indication that one mechanism is hope. Whether in America or India, families that are stressed and impoverished, trapped in cycles of poverty, can feel a hopelessness that becomes self-fulfilling. Give people reason to hope that they can achieve a better life, and that too can be self-fulfilling. In the graduation program, recipients of livestock were inspired to work more hours, even in areas unrelated to the livestock. They took more odd jobs, their savings rose, and their mental health improved. He went on to write, Could hopelessness and stress create a poverty trap abroad or here in the U.S. in which people surrendered to a kind of whirlpool of despair? Some economists and psychologists are finding evidence to support that theory, and experiments are underway to see if raising spirits can lift economic outcomes. And he concludes the article with this. Much of the news about global poverty is depressing, but this is fabulous. A large-scale experiment showing, with rigorous evidence, what works to lift people out of the most extreme poverty, and it's exhilarating, 
that one of the lessons may be so simple and human, the power of hope in the New York Times, May of 2015. In fact, hope has such an impact on us physiologically that a guy by the name of Jerome Groupman wrote in Anatomy of Hope, researchers are learning that a change in mindset has the power to alter, get this, neurochemistry. Belief and expectation, the key elements of hope, can block pain by releasing uh, the brain's endorphins and enkephalins, mimicking the effects of morphine. All right? In some cases, hope can also have important effects on fundamental physiological processes like respiration, circulation, and motor function. Hope is a thing. And the power of hope is a thing. The power of hope is real and recognized, even if you don't call yourself a Christian. Now, this morning, as I talk about hope, I want to be very careful that I want you to know that I'm not talking about hope as in, uh, like, Smurf-like hope, okay? I'm not talking about hope as in wishful thinking. I'm not talking about hope as in let's, uh, let's just hope and wish and dream that good things will happen and then they will. Why don't we just have like positive believism and happy thoughts and kind of all pull yourself up a little bit and my hope is that you'll just feel better about yourself. And maybe we can sing, I'll sing the Smurf song to end this morning together. I even forget what that is, but it's highly annoying once it gets in your brain, so I'm not even going to try to recall that. But this is not, this is not the kind of hope that I'm talking about. The hope that I'm talking about has got to be a rigorous hope, a robust hope. And I want to explain to you why that is, because I think you already know this. And here's what I mean when I talk about hope this morning. Hope, here's my definition of it for this morning. Hope is that conviction of heart that sees the obstacles, still believes, and shows up to work. Hope is that conviction, not just belief in your mind, not just a Hallmark card or a, a new uh, whatever. It, it is a conviction of your heart. It is deep-seated in your heart that sees the obstacles, still believes, and shows up to do the work. But that's hope as I'm understanding it. And you've seen how this works, whether it's in your life or somebody else's, that you see something that you want, that you hope for, you wish were true, you see the obstacles in the way of that, you believe anyway, and you show up to work for it. Whether that's getting a date, the girl who doesn't notice you, whether it's getting a job with the company who doesn't know you exist. Whether it's going to a school that doesn't know that you even are on the planet yet. Whatever it is, this is how hope can work. Now, here's the thing with hope, and this is why it's so difficult. Hope is not hope until it stares down hopelessness. This is why it's so hard. Hope is not hope, really, until it stares down hopelessness. If you've ever felt hopeless, you know how hard it is to hope. If you have ever felt hopeless, it's gone, I don't have a reason to continue to move on in this, this is where hope lives. And this is why hope is so difficult. Hope is not just, I'm going to start to feel better about myself. I need to read a new book. I need to make sure that I send some flowers to somebody. I'm going to write a note of encouragement. All those things are good, but those deal with the surface issue. Hope is not real hope until it stares down hopelessness and wins. That is hard. And that takes time to develop. There's no question about it. And that is why, that is why, 
this next statement I think is true. That whatever you hope in has to be strong enough to bear the weight of your soul. That whatever you hang your hat on, whatever you hope in, has to be strong enough to bear the weight of your soul's deepest questions and longings. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Who am I? Where am I going? What will happen to my kids? Will I ever get married? Is there really a God? The deepest questions of your soul have to find an anchor somewhere, and they will not find an anchor. They will not be satisfied. You cannot anchor the kind of hope that I'm talking about this morning to the things that often distract us, to the little things that give us little bumps of hope. For example, you cannot anchor hope to a marriage to answer the question of who you are, or to answer the problem not feeling like you belong. For those of us who have hitched our wagon to that hope anchor, you will inevitably, and you know it, you will inevitably be disappointed because your spouse cannot do for you what only God can do. Those of you who hope in your ability in athletics or music to create an identity for who you are, it's just a matter of time until you lose enough games or lose your voice or don't make the cut for the next singing group, that all of a sudden you realize, whoa, what's going on? Who am I? I was hoping, and now what gives? For those of us who are hoping in our our looks, or our, our fitness, or how we present ourselves, that can work for a little while, but then it's only a matter of time until you try to keep fighting the aging, and you're fighting all this stuff, and you're like, ah, hope. Whatever you end up hoping has got to be strong enough to bear the weight of your soul, or it doesn't work. So hope is difficult. Hope is hard because hope has been laced with great disappointment for you and for me. If you've lived any amount of time, you're going to experience great disappointment, and it is difficult when you experience that level of disappointment to try again and hope again. So I want to talk to you about hope this morning from a book of the Bible in the New Testament called 1 Peter. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to land this morning for just a few minutes. And then we're going to share in communion this morning together. Okay? I want you to know that. I also want you to know this. Um, here at Grace Point Church, we talk about our mission as being developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again We're developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So we make it no um, hidden agenda. It's not a hidden agenda that our hope is that people around us, you included, will come to the point in your life where you will know and respond to in faith to the person of Jesus Christ. That's our hope. All right, We, we we think that's the most important decision that you can ever make in your life. And so we want that for you, right? So we're not going to hide that. We're also not going to kind of jam that thing down your throat, but we're not going to run away from that. I want you to know this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that message in a few minutes. I'm going to give us a, re- a chance to respond to who Jesus is and asking the question of belief and faith in him this morning. So that will come. I just want you to know, the reason I'm telling you that now is because I'm not interested in manipulation 
Okay, I'm not interested in kind of just saying things the right way or turning the lights a certain way or the music a certain way and kind of getting your emotions hooked into this thing. I want you to understand that, that faith and belief is a decision that you make. It's also a move of the heart and move of the Spirit of God, but I want you just to know this is all cards on the table this morning. Okay? This is where we're at and what we value and what we want to do. So that's coming down the pike a little bit later on here this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn over to First Peter. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that Bible in the pew around you is our gift to you this morning. Uh, you can also uh, look in the table of contents of First Peter. It's pretty near the end of the, uh, the Bible there uh, in the New Testament. Um, and you should know as we get into First Peter chapter 1, um, just the context this is very important to, to understand. Peter... Uh, a man who followed Jesus, is writing to people who were Jews um, originally, and they had become Christians. Now, they were what we call dispersed uh, in, the, uh, in Asia Minor during this time, and they were dispersed. There was millions of them all over the place. I mean, you can almost imagine the refugee crisis we have going on right now. It was similar to that. There's a dispersion of people all around. During this time, originally, it was no problem that they were dispersed. The Jews were dispersed, not a big deal. The Roman Empire was a pretty tolerant empire as long as you don't do anything to get in our way. So you can have your belief, you can even have a cultic kind of belief, as long as you're not messing up the empire, as long as you don't turn the political system on its head or you don't threaten or challenge us will allow you to live and thrive okay, in your community, in your belief system, without oppressing you. But... If you begin to grow too much and your beliefs are a little weird or wonky or threaten the system, then we're going to have some business to deal with. And this is the place that Christians find themselves now. Christians began to multiply and multiply and multiply. And with that came greater platform and awareness within the Roman Empire of what, is, what are all these people doing and believing. And believe it or not, the Roman Empire actually would send spies into the various um, communities of believers, of Christians as we know them, to learn more about what they would believe. Because Christians were accused of a lot of weird things. They were accused of believing, number one, in an invisible God, which was strange. I mean, no one does that. Like, the, uh, Nero is the God. I mean, that's who he, and I can see him over there. And then the other religions have their uh, gods that they craft out of wood or whatever, but... Who's your God? Invisible? Number one, this is weird. Christians also talked about a future time when there would be like an overthrow of the world power and system as we know it. Whoa. We're talking about overthrowing Rome? Is that what you're saying? Confusion. And this isn't safe if you're starting to talk like that. And believe it or not, Christians were accused of cannibalism, which is even stranger because of communion. Because of the idea that they would eat the flesh and drink the blood is the language that they would hear. And so if you're not a Christian and you hear that, you're like, these people are not only weird, they're dangerous, and they're growing. We've got to get on this. And so when there was a fire in Rome, and many of you know this history, when Nero saw the fire in Rome, here's the perfect opportunity to pin the fire on the Christians, this group that's already kind of a little bit on the fringes, and they got blamed for, and then all of a sudden... Almost overnight, Christians began feeling an increased level of persecution that they did not feel before. Now, I want you to imagine this for a minute. If you're a business owner, and you're living at that time, and you're a Christian who's dispersed from your Jewish roots, and you're kind of stepping into this new thing called Christianity, it is all of a sudden much harder for you to do business with the people that you used to do business with. They're not going to take your bid on the job. 
They're not going to buy your products. They're not interested in trading with you. You're going to lose that which you have already worked hard to get. It's going to be difficult for you to educate your children because who wants a little Christian kid in the school with all of the reputation that the Christians are getting? It's going to be difficult for you within the context of the leadership in your local governance, within your influence in your community, to do anything but slowly become more and more ostracized. And this is what was happening for the Christians at this time. And Peter, a disciple of Jesus, is writing to these people who are very discouraged and who are, for lack of a better word, hopeless. Is this what it's going to be like forever? I no longer can work the way I'm used to working. My kids' future, who are they going to marry, and what even is their situation going to look like? They're not going to be able to buy property. They're not going to be able to farm. They're not going to be able to work. I mean, what, to what end? Feeling very hopeless. And Peter comes in, and his tone is shocking. His tone is shocking because of how positive he is in the middle of a hopeless circumstance. And this is where we pick it up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter's writing to these people whom he has yet to meet. And he says it this way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This verse is the crux of Peter's message to them. And this is why he says, in the middle of your hopelessness, I want to just begin with saying, praise be to God. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a, and here's the quality of the hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's where Peter begins. It's so key to get this quickly and and early. This is the the main point that he's getting after right away. The resurrection of Jesus Christ provides the answer to all the questions about what can I hope in? What can I hope in that's going to last? My kid's future is in doubt. My own future is in doubt. My economic future is in doubt. My future health is in doubt. Who am I going to go to for the doctor anymore? They don't want to treat me. I mean, my financial future is in doubt. I mean, everything is in doubt. And here Peter enters the scene and he begins, praise be to God. Why, Peter? Because through new birth you have entered into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter knows. That there is nothing greater than the resurrection of Jesus Christ to anchor your hope to. Let me put it this way. Imagine if you, this is going to be, can I go morbid for a minute? We're going to go morbid. I want to draw us out of that, but let me just be morbid for a second. I don't think I've ever done this to an audience before, but imagine if you were scheduled to die on Tuesday. I know, terrible thought, morbid thought. I just give me the 30 seconds to process that with you. If you were scheduled to die on Tuesday, what are you going to hope in? Well, I hope it doesn't hurt too much. I hope when I'm gone, 
My kids are okay. I hope someone takes care of that. I mean, what, there's nothing that you can hope in that will get you out of that unless I could tell you what if you were to die and that's not the end. This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ does. What if you were to die, but then what if you were to come back to life in three days? You kidding me? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. But what if it did? And what if Jesus did that? If he did that, if a man did that, died and came back to life in three days, then what else is there that could possibly get in the way of your life? So what of your financial future that's in question? So what of your future health that's in question? So what of your future kid's life that's in question? So what of all that, of all the things that work us over, is there anything that can compare to the power of someone who can face our greatest fear of death and beat it? And if that is true, if Jesus can face death and overcome it, then I want to hitch my wagon to that. I want to put all of my soul's questions onto that and say, whoa, 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 I want to follow this man who can beat the greatest fear that I have ever known or ever had. This is why Peter can say in the middle of all the junk and all the things that cause discouragement and difficulty, praise be to God, praise be to God, because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been brought into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 5, this hope, verse 4, excuse me, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Because what can beat this inheritance if death can't beat it? Who through, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And he paints this incredible picture that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have a place to anchor our hope. This is a hard truth, but it's a, an incredible truth to think of that if Jesus actually died and faced death and came back to life again, that through faith, when we believe that, when we trust in that, when we orient our lives toward that and follow after him, then, and you get this, he has given us an inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade. I mean, who's going to take that? Who's the one that beat Jesus at beating death? Who is greater than that? And this is what Peter says, in light of, in light of your uncertain future, I want you to know you have a very, very, very certain future. You have an inheritance if you believe in Jesus Christ and what he did and you follow him. You have a future that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And so, yeah, I know things are hard. I don't want to diminish that. And this is why he comes. Praise be to God. Because I can't answer all of the questions that you have. I can't answer all the whys. Of why did this happen here and this happened there and this happened there. But here's what I can answer. That this world as we know it is not all that there is. And that at the end of it, and we know we're going to die, at the end of that, that is not all there is. So praise be to God. Praise be to God. He continues in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He's acknowledging the pain of life. 
These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not yet seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Peter is saying, in the middle of life circumstances that are tough, no question, which you're going to suffer trials and difficulty, no question, in which you're going to ask questions of which many smart people are going to have no answers, and you're going to wonder, what gives? Why hope? He says, listen, I get it. That looks pretty bad. That looks concerning. I get it. But I know somebody who has beat death. And if you can top that one, then let's talk. Otherwise, praise be to God because of what his son Jesus has done through the resurrection in beating our greatest fear. Not to diminish our current problems, but to place our hope, to have a place of hope in which we can hitch our wagon for all of life and say we need something that can bear the weight of our soul. And you and I both know it can't be anything else other than something that extends well beyond our abilities, bring in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a guy uh, in psychology today who wrote this about the power of hope. He said this about hope. Um, if I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I'd have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. Hope is often the only thing between man and the abyss. As long as a patient, individual, or victim has hope, they can recover from anything and everything. However, if they lose hope, unless you can help them get it back, all is lost. This is Dr. Dale Archer. I'm not even sure if he's a Christian or not, but he underscores the point. Hope, when it's lost, it's gone. But if we have it, and you've seen it work before with people, if all of a sudden they have hope, we've got a future. We've got something different. I can do the exercises now. I can head back to school now. I can go back into the dating or marriage world. I can do whatever. But if we lose hope, it's gone. And I get it. Listen, I, I get it. What I'm talking about this morning, when I'm talking about hope, if you're an adult or you're growing into a young adult or whatever you're growing up, you have had your fair share of disappointment. You, you have, and, and I get that. I have too. And even as I, in my own life, am processing and internalizing this message, I understand how difficult back and hope again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? I'll learn the first time. There's a couple reasons why that goes on. When we, when we deal with... Um, a hopelessness, there can be a sense of resignation, of just living life um, without any, for lack of a better term, hope for the future. Have you ever asked the question, what would life be like if you actually did give up hope? If you didn't have hope, and I'll, I'll tell you, here's what I think. I think, number one, it would be a passionless existence. If you're sitting here this morning and you struggle to experience joy, or express joy, 
or you struggle with pain and even how to process that, or even to feel pain of other people, I might suggest that you may have given up hope. Maybe I'm being forward. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. You can decide. But if you've given up hope, it becomes very difficult to engage emotionally. It becomes difficult to engage in the joy and the pain of the people around you. Because you're living in a passionless purgatory. The gray in between. Life also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for when you give up hope. Things start going badly and you give up hope. And then because you've given up hope, things start getting worse. Then you're like, see? Why would I hope in the first place? Now it gets harder. Right? And that's how it works. Hopelessness becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Things are going bad. Uh, I knew that would happen. Oh, see, it's happening. And now it's even getting worse. And then you don't have the, the fight to work toward getting things any better. And here's why I say this about, um, about this issue. The, the question on the table, to hope or not to hope, that is a question. It is a question. I mean... What should I do? Should I hope or not? I mean, this is, this is the difficult reality. Should I hope or not? And should I have the courage to even address this issue in my own life at a deep level? Not at a hallmark level, okay, not at a wishful thinking level, not at a, a surface level, but at a deep-rooted level. Do I hope is a conviction of my heart that there's something more then that I look good and I'm fit, that I'm eating the right foods, that my kids are going to be okay, and that I can be excellent at sports or music or whatever it is, and that my health is going to be okay, and what am I hoping in my marriage is going to be awesome, whatever. Is there something more to hope or not to hope? That is the question. And we lose hope over disappointment. We lose hope over that, and I get that. But here's what the Bible says about hope, and this is convicting for me. I'm just going to, I'm going to push on this a little bit. In Paul's writing in Romans, here's what he says about hope and trials. He writes this. We also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And this last line is troubling. And hope does not disappoint. Now, you can disagree with me all you want. That's fine. We can interact with that. I need to interact with what I believe to be the authoritative word of God on this issue. And here's what Paul is saying. You're going to go through a bunch of junk and tribulations in life, and they're going to want to take your hope and place it on your abilities to overcome. It is a fleeting hope. It'll work for a little while, and then you'll fail. Then you're going to be discouraged. You're going to need something to anchor the depths of your soul to. And this is where he's saying tribulations will strip that stuff away from you. You're going to learn, if you respond rightly, you're going to learn perseverance. And then that will develop a character in you that you didn't have before, and that character will lead you to hope because you'll be able to handle the circumstances again, and that kind of hope, if rightly responded to in trial, will not disappoint, because your soul becomes anchored to a depth of truth that otherwise you and I cannot create. That I know you feel that people disappoint you. I know it. I know that you feel that your spouse maybe disappoint you. Maybe you disappoint your spouse. I get that. I know you don't feel connected to people the way that you want to. You feel like, like someone has hurt you. I understand that. And people will continue to do that. And so the message of hope again, right? You know, like going on a diet again, like that, like that ever works, right? I've tried that before, I've tried that before, I've tried that before, I've tried that before. I'm not interested in a just work harder mentality. I'm interested in a let's believe rightly mentality. And here's what Jesus is offering. He says, I know all the junk that you're going to go through, all the trials that you're going to face, and the suffering that you're going to face, 
Now, you're going to struggle with answers for those questions. I get that. But I just want you to know, at the end of the day, trust me, I've conquered death. There is a future. There's a future that is different than this present world. In the middle of the sufferings, and here's where I get to in my own life, if hope does not disappoint, my disappointment, my disappointment, when I get discouraged, when I'm disappointed, it is a sign to me that I've been hoping in the wrong things because of this reality, that hope is not hope until it stares down hopelessness. And so when you're fighting, like you're going to do because you're human, when you're fighting discouragement, when you're fighting depression, when you're fighting stuff that you can't get and can't wrap your mind around, when your family's falling apart or whatever it is that's going on, and I get that, here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The message of Peter is in the middle of all this stuff, praise be to God, not because you're going through the stuff, because it can refocus us on what our hearts and souls really should be anchored to in the first place. A hope that is deeper and more profound than anything that your abilities, your future, your giftedness, your marriage, your money, anything can provide. This hope is deeper and stronger. And hope is that conviction of the heart that sees the obstacles, still believes, and goes to work on that. And hope does not disappoint. I want to encourage you this morning to hope again. To hope in the right things. And when you experience the disappointment, to ask the question, if the Bible seems to say hope doesn't disappoint, what does that tell me about where I was putting my hope in the first place? If you're here this morning and you're in a position where you will say, you know, I don't know that I even hope in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I get that. You are welcome here. And let me say this, you are welcome here after this Sunday, even if you still believe the same thing. We love you anyway. True story. We love you anyway. But we believe that the best thing that you can do in your life is respond to the hope that Jesus provides. Is to have a place to anchor your soul. To recognize your limitations and weaknesses. The Bible calls that sin. Welcome to the club. To recognize sin. Repent or turn from that. Confess it. Just say, God, I've been leaning on this stuff. I've been leaning on myself. I believe I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. In a minute, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if that's your desire this morning, to respond in faith that way, let's do it. Let's respond in faith. Privately, in your heart, you can just say these words or what have you, and we can, we can you know, communicate that to God. The issue is really the condition of your heart, the desire of your will. To respond to God in that way. Those of you who are already believers who say this, this God is the one that I follow. Let me encourage you again. Refocus the hope. We need it. This is a slow issue. Okay? 
This is old and slow. This takes continual, continual work. And let this morning encourage you to keep doing the work. To replace that hope and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm going to pray for us now. If that's your desire to respond to faith in Christ, I'm going to ask you to do that during the prayer time, and then we'll go from there. Okay? After that, we're going to take communion together, and I'll explain that a little bit more on the back end. So will you pray with me here this morning? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. We thank you for the hope of this Christmas season. We thank you for um, the truth of your word that we can reflect on and we can learn from. And I pray this morning as we uh, sit here and listen and and think about our own lives, our own um, engagement with hope and our own encouragement or discouragement and our own leanings on our own will, our own strength or whatever that might be. Give us the courage this morning to do what we know we need to do, to trust where we know we need to trust, to recenter hope on that which is most important. So this morning, now for those here this morning who are, uh, are not sure where they are in terms of their faith in Christ, I want to give you a chance, just as we're all with our heads bowed still and our eyes closed, just in the quietness of your own heart, if this is your desire to respond to faith in Christ, I'm going to ask you to repeat these, uh, this prayer after me, and I will tell you this prayer uh, is not magical. It does not save you. It is simply meant to be an expression of the desire of your heart. And so if it doesn't quite match up with your desires, then put it in your own words. The important thing is how your heart is responding and how your mind is responding to the offer of God for salvation. So you can, if you would like, you can pray this in your own heart now. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I've leaned on my own strengths, my own abilities for my life. I pray that you'd forgive me for my sin, for falling short of your standards. I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. I believe in him this morning. I trust in him. Place my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. This morning, I thank you for saving me. Now, with every head bowed still and eyes closed, if that was your desire, and that's what you did this morning right here, would you, would you raise your hand here this morning that I can know that, see that, and that we can connect here later on? Would you do that right now? Thank you. Thank you. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the hope that is offered in Jesus Christ. May we be people who continue to lean into and trust the hope that Jesus Christ offers. We need you so desperately. and We thank you for your love and for your care for us. In this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.